So we want to talk about following a little bit. Uh, you know, social media is all about following, right? Getting the most amount of people so that you can build your brand, which is you. Uh, some of you have Instagram and, and Twitter and, you know, you've got a Facebook page. Some of you don't give a rip about any of that at all. Some of you give a rip about it and just don't want anyone to know because you look and see how many followers you got. Some of you uh, don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's all good, but it's about followers. <clears throat> and then maybe you remember when you were young, anybody play a game, follow the leader? It could be like a structured game, or I remember <clears throat> times when it was me or someone else, you were the leader and you were trying to get somebody to not follow you. Um, so you go over obstacles and through things, and was that part of your game too? Anybody have a younger brother or sister that just really, you're the older one, and they just dug you, and they wanted to follow you everywhere. Well, they, they, they wanted to be right by you. I mean, that probably ended at some point for many of us, right? <laughs> but for a period of time, it was pretty cool, maybe. For them, not for you. You'd rather get rid of them. Maybe you can remember wanting to follow um, some leader, uh, like you know, a mentor or a school teacher. Our, our school teachers have great power, really. They spend more time with some of the kids than parents do. They have great influence. And they turn into great leaders. There's great people uh, in the church, outside the church, doing great works with kids. And uh, they are great mentors and leaders. And many have taken what parents didn't do, and they've done it for these kids. And then there's great parents as well. Don't get me wrong. It's, but it all has to do with leadership and following. Somewhere this year, even your kids, especially when I see middle schoolers go out, they're going to go out, and middle school especially, elementary school, yes, high school, but I think a lot in middle school. I was a middle school pastor for a long time, youth pastor for a long time. But that's a big age where they're choosing someone they're going to follow. And a lot of times they'll follow them through their middle school and, and, and high school years. You know how big of an influence that can be on them. Good and bad, right? Why did you do that? Well, so-and-so did it, so I did it. And then you pull out like, well, they jumped off the bridge, would you? Or, you know, whatever you guys say that makes no sense really when it comes right down to it, right? But we try to convince them of those things. Today is a big day for many of you because you follow a football team and you will either be happy or you will declare the season has just ended. It's over. <laughs> There's lots of things that come up, you know, with following. Just being in Israel recently, you know, just a month ago, um, it's important when you have a guide to follow that guide. Because you can get into a wrong place very quickly. I've done it before. <laughs> I've led people on wrong turns, wrong roads, wrong places. And if you want to go to Israel with me, it's a ball of fun. You can ask Corey back there. All those wrong turns can always turn into something great or like you guys put your head down. We got to get out of here, you know? It's not that bad. <laughs> but you got to follow a guide, you know, to learn. If you want to see all you can, you want to be right there with them. Be right up front. Get some of their residue, I don't know what that really means, but on you. 
You want to learn and grow that way. So I think a lot of what we talk about has to do with following and who we choose to follow. Maybe for some it's what you choose to follow. It's very important. There's a scripture uh, that we will come back to actually next week. But I want to read it this week. It's from the message, this translation. Because the battle seems to be over who will lead. So the message says this in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus, I like how uh, they wrote, wrote, wrote this, went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me, Jesus says, has to let me lead. That's good. That's what we're going to be talking about. If you haven't chosen to do that today, it's all right. I'm glad you're here. That's what we're working towards, though. We want to consider that. I hope you do as well. Some of us even maybe will discover that we do not let Jesus really lead our life. Or we compartmentalize it. Jesus, you can lead this, but I'm going to hold on to this right here. I've done that. I think I have a tendency to want to do that at times. And it wreaks havoc on my life. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. It really hits me hard. Jesus says to them, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. I like it. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. He lays it out there and says, listen, you've got to let me lead. And that's what we're talking about. It's a choice that you make. It's a decision you have to, uh, to, uh, to decide upon. But the question becomes this. Who is leading my life? Think about that for a minute. Maybe you have to put what in there. Who, maybe what, is leading my life? And I really ask you to consider that deeply. Maybe look at different areas of your life. You know, God gives us great freedom, so I'm not trying to trample on anybody's freedom. I'm not even saying that we don't have some responsibility, right, in doing certain things. Like, i got to take responsibility. I have to do that. But ultimately, there's this, this big idea of who's leading all areas of my life, all areas of my life. It's a great question to consider. Today, as we move forward, and as we continue to look at this over the coming weeks, maybe something will come up. And you realize, you know what? I'm ultimately in charge of that area. I'm in the driver's seat in this spot. And so I would ask you to consider that. It becomes a big question in, you could say, Jewish education. So if you didn't know this, Jesus was Jewish. We have to know the Jewish context at times to understand why he did certain things, why he said certain things. And some people forget that because we sometimes read the Bible and we just Americanize it. We just picture everything a certain way, think it's all a certain way, or don't understand certain things because we don't get that and so we got to understand some of these aspects to fully understand why he says what he does and what's going on here. So it's really good to look at. That's why a trip to Israel is great because you go and you see like, wow, I didn't even think that was like that at all. I didn't totally grasp what that was all about. Now my Bible kind of makes more sense right there because of that, you know. And so <clears throat> let's, let's think about, because we just started school as well, and your kids did, and your parents are engaged in it, and teachers are back and administrative staffs there and doing their thing. 
What is a disciple, since we're talking about disciples in this Jewish context? Well, from about ages uh, 5 to 12, um, boys and girls, we believe, would, would go to Beth Sefer, it was this, this training school. And you can think, put it in the context of elementary school, all right? So at age 5 or so, you know, to uh, <coughs> up, up to 12, they're going to school. And what it all becomes about is the, the word of God um, concerning the Tanakh, these first, or the, the Torah, I should say, the first five books of the Bible. And they're going to memorize and learn these things. They're going to invest in them. And to start it off, the teachers, we've talked about this before, would take a little, on every, on every student's slate, they would take a little, little bit of honey and put it on there. And they wanted these students to understand how amazing and beautiful and sweet the Word of God was. And they would recite Psalm 19.10. That the Bible, the Word, God's Word is sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey come, come, coming out of the honeycomb. And they would taste that. And they would go, wow. And they would learn that for those years. And they would embrace from the years of 5 to 12 just this first part of the Bible, the Torah. And they would just learn it and they would memorize it, these boys and girls. A lot of their learning, too, was question and answer. So they would like be asked a question and give an answer or ask a question and be given an answer. So there's a lot of dialogue about that. And we see this in the life of Jesus. When Jesus is 12, he does what, what they would have to do around that age. They would have to go to one of the feasts, go up to Jerusalem. And he does that. His parents are with a big old community of people. They leave the feast and they start heading down the old Jericho Road. And they realize a day into it or so that their son, Jesus, is missing. Mary and Joseph are like, Jesus missing, but that's not that bad because it's such a massive crowd. They think they're with cousins and playing and hanging out. It's no big deal. Oh, they're, they're you know, with the camels and they're hanging out with the people. You know, it's like someone's spending the night and, I don't know if parents would, would be missing your kid for a couple days, but, you know, it's like, it's that kind of, eh, whatever. They're just kind of hanging out with Joe, you know, whatever, doing their thing, you know. And so he's, he's, he's gone. By the time they find him, they discover he's at the temple, and the scripture in Luke 2, 46 through 47 gives us a little insight, where it says three days later, they finally discover Jesus in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers. Remember, he has now, by now learned the Torah. He has memorized, if not all of it, big portions of it. And he's sitting among all these religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. He's done this very thing. He's gone to Beth's affair. He's, he's done this school and this training to learn the word of God, that it's sweeter than honey. He's tasted the honey on his lips. He's now dialoguing in this question-answer format with these rabbinical leaders. And it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And he has participated in this. By the end of this time, at Sefer, this age 5 to 12 or so, boys and girls would begin to learn a trade, and they would go home, and girls would learn also like homemaking. They'd learn to be a mother, and they would start becoming that homemaker. Many would get married at a young age, so they'd be wives, but a few boys, not the girls, a few of the boys 
would progress into the next level because they were the best. So you get five to 12, then the best come out of that, these boys, and they go to school called Bet Midrash. Bet Midrash is now school for that age group, just a little bit older, and they are now taking this time from 13 to 15 to learn even more about now the whole Old Testament. They're investing all their time into learning what, what we would say the Old Testament, the Word of God. They're memorizing now even more large portions of Scripture. It'd probably be more like the high school years, but for only a select group of boys. These are the best. And they move on this level. And they are, they are learning the Tanakh of the Old Testament as well as learning a family trade at the same time. Now, we know that Jesus is told he's the son of a carpenter. We know that he worked that way. And we see that Jesus went through this because he becomes a rabbi. He went through this time. He's learning now and memorizing. He's also learning a trade as a carpenter, a stonemason. And he's going through all of this and memorizing this. And when they now get to the age of 15, it all ends for most of them. Most of the boys will not make it to the next level. For only the best of the best get to move on. You could imagine maybe now applying, if you have a student, applying for colleges, some of the best colleges, best universities. They send out all these letters, right? And they wait for them to come back, and it comes in the mail. They might go, Mom, you open it. I can't do it. And all you're probably doing as a mom or dad is, I just can't believe we're going to have to pay this amount of money first. <laughs> <laughs> you better get a good job, man, out of this, you know, because it's going to be 100 grand later, you know. But they're going to be moving back in with you. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so only the best of the best go to the next level. The rest, at 15, they, they go home. They begin to just you know, get back into the, the family business or learn a trade or you know, something they've already kind of got going on. Begin families. But these other ones um, are then approached by a very respected rabbi maybe multiple rabbis, they would approach them earlier and say, Rabbi, I would like to become your Talmud, your disciple, is the word that we know. I want to follow you. I want to become your student, your apprentice. Please let me into your house of study. So what the rabbi would do is he would examine them by asking questions, by you know, talking with them to find out if indeed this child was the best of the best. Because he wanted the best to follow him. He wanted them, and this word will come up when we look at it today for a moment and, and further. He wanted him, the student, to take on his yoke. Does that sound familiar to some of you Bible people? His teachings. His views. What he believed about the Bible. He wanted to take on his yoke, and then he wanted it to be where when he got older 
And before he passed away, his disciples would then do, doesn't it sound familiar? What he did. He would teach that yoke, that teaching. So this rabbi wanted his thoughts and ideas and beliefs to be, you know, carried on and on throughout history. So each rabbi would then have this dialogue with the student who wanted to be one of his disciples. And if he proved to be the best of the best, he would fit into his community. He would say then, come follow me. And so, this life of discipleship, of being a Talmud, a disciple, would start. And that would go from 15 all the way to 30 years old. They would just follow this rabbi everywhere, every day, every hour of the day. They want to know, where are you going? Anybody ever have that kid around you, that brother, sister, that says, where are you going? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you doing? And then they follow you everywhere, and you try to ditch them, right? People do that to me all the time. I don't understand. <laughs> they don't want to miss a teachable moment. They don't want to miss out on anything. They, they want to experience everything this guy is, is putting out. They want to see every move. They want to know how he acts. They want to see how he does everything, thinks about everything, teaches about everything. And so the saying is, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The disciple would follow the rabbi so closely that they would be covered with his dust. When I'm walking in Israel, you can think about following a leader and you're on a path walking, I'll look at the end of the day and my shoes have dust and dirt all over them. You ever experienced something like that? Some of it's probably just from the dust coming up and some of it's because the person in front of me is probably kicking up a lot of stuff as they walk along. Have you ever seen or been part of like the go up God? There's one, every time I go to Mountain Lakes Bible Camp, you go down this road and I think about it all the time because there's signs that say, please drive slow because of the dust. That is cue for me, especially when I was a youth pastor with kids in the van, to go, let's drive fast and just dust out the car behind us, the other van, you know, with kids. I know that's not right, but have you ever been the person behind? And you get out of your car and you're like, there is stuff all over the car from the person in front of me, the way they drove. Maybe you ride motorcycles or bikes and you've been following somebody on a muddy path or in the rain and you get stuff all in the front of you. Have you ever pushed out a car? I did this once that was in the mud. And I had to be the person to push. They were the ones that got to sit in there and do the gas. And it took a while to get it out. But I think, you know, the first whole part of it was just him wanting to get me filthy with mud. It just sprays up. Think of those kinds of things. And tell me, this disciple wants to be so close to this rabbi the one that he has been chosen to follow, that he wants to get the dust on him. He wants to experience everything that he says and does. That means they trusted their rabbi completely. They had a passionate devotion to them. 
They were eager to hear their teachings. They were passionate to incorporate the rabbi's actions and words into their lives. And the disciples' deepest desire was to follow his rabbi so closely that he would start to think and act like the rabbi himself. That's the education system that these students were a part of. As the rabbi would live and teach his understanding of scriptures to the students, they listened and watched and imitated so that they could be like him. Eventually, when they saw this happening, they would say to the Talmudim, the disciples that were following, they'd say, go and do the same. Sounds so familiar, doesn't it? Jesus grew up this way. It makes sense to me when I read these stories again about him. It takes it to another level that we'll look at over 10 weeks. Today we're just beginning. Are you walking so closely with Jesus that you're covered in his dust? I like eating at Mucha's crosses. Oh no. <laughs> I'm not trying to recommend the place. There's something about it that happens every time. The one that we go to, I think there's more, but the one we go to is this old Taco Bell down on, up it's West Main, right there. Right? And everything's inside the building. Like, you go in, you, I can watch them cook. Kind of like that. I can see everything that's going on. You also, when you leave, I smell like muchas grasas. <laughs> I say that because it reminds me, uh, even in scripture later on, Paul and writers will say things like, the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Jesus. That so much of Jesus maybe, that's not the way I'm not trying to make this some theological thing, but so much of Jesus is on me, a part of me, in me, coming out of me. It's like an aroma, a fragrance. It's like the Mexican place. I don't know. <laughs> so I wonder, a good question for us is, hey, are we walking so closely with Jesus that we are covered in his dust? That's a good question to ask and to think about. Maybe the bigger one is, am I a disciple of Jesus? Now, before we just give you a few thoughts today and head out in a few minutes after communion, let me tell you though, what happens to those that don't make it. See, most guys don't make it. It's only the best of the best, the select few. The rest go home. Whether it's a young age, but that, you know, to 15. They don't make it go from 15, 16 to 30. They're not going to become rabbis themselves. They go home. The rabbi interviewed them. They asked, can I be one of your Talmudim? Can I be one of your disciples? I want to be a student. I want, I want to do this. And after being interrogated, the answer is, no, you can't. You don't have what it takes. Go home. Go home and raise children and pray the, the, the same as, pray that they become rabbis. Pray that your son used to do what you're not capable 
of doing. Well, you're not good enough in doing that. And there's a lot of that out there sometimes. When we cause people to feel like they're not good enough. We can do that as a church, as religion sometimes. And Jesus grew up in that as well. For some, they do not hear the words, come follow me. But instead, they hear, you know the Torah. But you're not able to be my talent, my student, my disciple. Go home, make those babies, pray they become rabbis, learn the family business, fishing, farming, carpentry, because you won't be studying to be a rabbi. Now look at these scriptures here. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. <clears throat> One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Already I know right there, here's some guys that didn't make the cut. They're not good enough. They went to fishing. They fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, and what did he say? Can you imagine hearing these words? Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Can you imagine hearing that? Can you imagine those words being spoken to you? Because you had heard the opposite, that you weren't good enough, and suddenly a rabbi comes up? He doesn't even seem to interrogate them. He just says, come follow me. This portion in Matthew then 9 says this in 9, 9 through 13 says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I don't know, that sounds like a pretty good church, right? Isn't it right there? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want to show you mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call. Not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus has gone to these people. He did it in Matthew 4. He does it in Matthew 9. He does it throughout the Gospels, these stories of Jesus. He goes in, and these men, fishermen, tax collectors, who didn't make the cut, who aren't good enough, who some see as no good people, scum of the earth, Jesus goes in and he calls them out. In my kingdom, he says, you're good enough. In my kingdom, you make it. I believe in you. Those are big words. One of them, earlier on, we didn't read it. But it says in these stories that he calls these disciples and they leave their nets behind, their business behind, and they leave their father behind. 
You know what reality is? Sometimes we look at that as a really negative thing. But I imagine that father going home to his wife and saying, with a smile, you won't believe what happened today. Remember our son who didn't make the cut? Wasn't good enough to continue on. We dreamed that he would be a rabbi, but he was back home fishing at 15. He didn't make the cut. Guess what? Today, this rabbi Jesus came up and called him. And they would have rejoiced. Our son made it. Our rabbi wants him. That's a beautiful thing to consider. Jesus' invitation is to come and be my apprentice, to follow me, to walk with me. Let my dust cover you. And the invitation of Jesus, I just want to bring up three things before we take communion today. Number one, Jesus' invitation to his disciples is to believe in him, to believe in me. I don't want to dig deep into this, but he's asking an invitation, believe in who I am. Trust me. Walk with me. Get to know me. Understand me. Learn my teachings. Believe in me. And two, we add to it, really it's one big thing, but believe in me because I believe in you. We see that in the story. Jesus takes these guys and says, I believe you can be like me. I believe in you. Other rabbis said, man, you can't make it. You can't be one of my disciples. You know the word of God, but it's not good enough. You can't take on my yoke and propel that teaching. I don't want someone like you. But Jesus comes along and he seems to pick some of the worst people, the worst students, and he says, believe in me and I believe in you. Come, you can do this. Come follow me. Notice how many places in the life of Jesus where he gets frustrated with his disciples. We've talked about some of them before. Why are you doing that? What are you saying? Even the one that we mentioned earlier, Peter, he'll call him Satan. Get behind me, Satan, one time. He gets frustrated with these guys. Some of the mistakes they make. You understand that, parents, with your kids? And yet, the frustration is not anger. It's not because they're incapable. It's frustrated because it's how capable they are and what they can be. You know, I think some of it is with the kids. They frustrate you sometimes. Some of you, your students sitting in here, if you didn't know it, your parents, I've talked to some of them. You frustrate them. <laughs> but you know what? They love you. Some of that frustration, maybe not all of it, some of it is because they believe something about you that maybe right now you don't even believe. And that's a beautiful thing when you see that in a parent. They failed, but you're like, you can do this. You can do it. It's nice when we have people that believe that about us. I'm a failure. I blew it again. But Jesus seems to come into these guys and say, yes, but you know what? I believe in you. Follow me. 
He sees what they could be, what they could do. He sees when they fall short, and it provokes him to no end. He doesn't like their failure, but he believes in their greatness. They don't even realize what they're capable of. You know that God has an incredibly high view of people. He really does. He believes that people are capable of amazing things. That's why he went to the cross, for our sin. He believes that about us. And he picked us. The Bible says in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. For these guys one day, they were just doing their thing. And a rabbi comes up and says, come, follow me. That must have been thrilling. <clears throat> must have been life-changing. I need to believe in Jesus, but I'm learning that he believes in me. I need to have faith in God, but I'm learning that he has faith in me. There's a little dialogue that Jesus has with Martha. It's John 11, 25 through 26. I use it often. It's an interesting little story. I won't go into the whole thing at memorial services and funerals and different things that I do. Just did, did one and talked about this uh, you know, just a couple weeks ago. And uh, Jesus, you know, is talking to one of his best friends. It's Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Martha, Lazarus' sister, is very upset. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, Martha. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he says this. Do you believe this, Martha? It's a good question for each one of us here today. Jesus believes in you. Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he really would call someone like you? Someone who maybe would be described. You maybe feel like the one in the house with Jesus and Matthew and the religious leaders, the people that seem to be like the best, the best of the best, because they are in the world's eyes, really. Religion's eyes is saying, man, look at that scum that's hanging out with Jesus or that Jesus is hanging out with. Maybe you feel like that. Well, Jesus believes in you. He chose you. Do you believe in him? who he is and what he says and does. The invitation from Jesus also to be his disciple has to do with being with him. So he says, you want to be my disciple? Be with me. Follow me. Abide in me. We'll talk about that really most in the six, seven weeks of the series that we come to in a few. That's where the dust comes from, being close to him. We see all over the Gospels we're an inner circle of disciples, and he would call everyone, but be with me, be close to me. He would even pull some out sometimes and say, come, let's be together, walk together, talk together, Q&A together, let's pray together, let's be together. And that's what we're talking about, an intimate relationship. We'll come to it again in weeks here with Jesus. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writers, talks about keeping God first and foremost that we must do this and keep them before our minds. It is the, the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. So we practice the presence of God to direct our minds to him and redirect our minds constantly to him. And so some of that's going to be for each one of us. 
this being with is also practice. Learning, growing, being sanctified. So be with. I love Acts 4.13. Jesus has died, risen, and gone to heaven. All these disciples are left. Peter, John, some that were called from fishing. So think about this later. The members, they're brought before the council. They're brought before this council of religious leaders to be like persecuted and, you know, have a trial and all that. And it says the council, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had what? Been with Jesus. We're going to learn how to be with him. It's part of the invitation that Jesus asks, invites us into, be with me. The also the invitation then is from Jesus to be his disciple is to be like me. So it's not just be with me, but be like me. Learn his yoke, his way of teaching. Think like him, act like him, feel like him. Rearrange my life around him. Love like him, live like him. This thing that we enter into is a with God and like God program. It's not even a program. It's, it's a life. A full life. These scriptures talk about, there's many like this, but these few talk about what it means to be like him. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes, and you should imitate me just as I what? Imitate Christ. Paul knew all this very well. He was a very religious man. He grew up in the same schooling became a teacher, persecuted Christians, and then had a whole you know, new creation, born again experience, and turned his life over to Christ. And so he's telling all of us, imitate me, but the only reason you imitate me is because I imitate Christ. John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works. There's that belief in you. You believe in him, it says we're going to do the same things that Jesus did and does, but he even proclaims that you will do greater than that. That's a big statement. It's a big calling out. That's a lot of faith in us. And then Luke 6.40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So we're going to learn and talk about what it means to be like him. And then I said to take on his yoke. Jesus is not trying to just get us to behave for him. It's important because we'll turn our Christianity into behavior modification. He wants us to be with him and be like him. We need to agree to a certain set of beliefs at times and doctrines and follow him. But he also wants to be with us and we take on him. That's when our heart and life will change. For we are called to a whole new life. Not just a new lifestyle, but a whole new life. The uh, worship team can come. We're going to take communion in just a minute. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I think some people have a wrong perspective of following Jesus. They do look at it as behavior modification. 
They look at it like it's just something that I got to be holy and good. Well, God wants you to be holy and good. Don't get me wrong. We're not eliminating that. But that's not what you're called to do. Just that. In fact, Jesus seems to say, come follow me. We'll do this together. That life will come out of following me. That's the, that's the kind of the ground level, you know, this uh, scripture that we have, Matthew 16, 24. If you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. That's ground level stuff. Not just stop doing this, stop doing that. Hey, get rid of your selfish ways. It's not about you, right? Jesus is in charge. Take up your cross. There's going to be suffering and struggle. It's going to be a tough life at times and a beautiful life in others. And then and follow me. That's ground level. It's not just behavior modification. And he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Do you carry a heavy burden today of sin, of stuff, of junk? Is it hard? Is it, are you weary? He says, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke, my teachings, who I am, what I'm about, like those other rabbis. They would invite someone in, but their yokes would be heavy and it'd make you weary because it was all about religion and behavior and the law. Jesus comes and says, I fulfill all those things. I don't eliminate them, but I fulfill them. So come, take my yoke, my teaching, learn my ways, take that upon you. I'll give you rest. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke, it's easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. That's a decision, Scripture. It come to me, he says. He's called you. Maybe you're the fisherman or fisherwoman fixing your net. You've scratched it off. This is my life. This is what I do. It's over. I didn't make the cut. I'm not good enough. I've blown it too many times. But I'm telling you, there's a Savior, Jesus, who sits here, stands here, Entering into your life saying, Cut, follow me. Follow me. I'll give you rest. Why are you so weary? Exhausted. Why have you turned Christianity following me into some religion, behavior, modification? Follow me. We'll, we'll work through this together. I love what Andy Stanley said. He said, <clears throat> The religious say change and you can join us. Jesus says join us and you can change. This decision today is a decision to live. Well, some of it may be to die to yourself, but a decision to live. It's more than a prayer said. I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to take communion. Man, if you want to give your life to Jesus and make a decision to follow him today, pull a card out, we'll pray with you, check that box, turn it into the offering boxes, we'll pray with you, contact you, whatever, you know, but this is not just about getting you to say a salvation prayer. This is about a whole change in life, following Jesus. It's a decision to come alive and really live. Be born again. Be a new creation. Because Jesus calls you because he believes in you. Ron, I'm a sinner. 
Well, that seems to be a qualification to become a follower of Jesus. You won't stay a sinner. So, Father, today, as we just take this time to wrap up, spend it with you for a moment in communion, we recognize, God, that in here are all types of people who feel all types of things. Some can respond and say, ah, I do this stuff. They'll go home and they'll keep plugging away their walk with you. That's great. Some are like, wow, something really hits me here. A question, a thought, an idea. May that just kind of be um, seed planted. It now gives birth to, to new things for them. Some maybe have been just weary and tired of fixing nets, fixing nets. So all they do is fix nets, try to fix their life. Jesus, you come in and you're declaring to them, I believe in you. You make my cut. Come follow me. And if today is the day for them to make that decision, I pray that they have the courage to do it. Not a show here. There's no call, standing, hand raising that has to be done. It's a decision they have to make. they enter into this walk with you, life with you. So wherever someone's at, speak to them today. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.